ready for the message today? Great. Well, it's like, I think it's like week eight or nine of this four-week series called The Kingdom of God. And uh, we're in, a, in about two weeks' time, we're actually going to take a pause on it because I feel like 10 weeks is long enough in one stint and we'll come back to it. I told you it could easily be 32 weeks. We're only up to like partway through Matthew chapter 5 and we're supposed to do Matthew 5 and 7. So, you know, 5, 6, and 7. So we're nowhere near there, but it's been pretty good. And we'll, 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 we'll pick it back up later, but we've got some freedom stuff we need to talk about. So that's where we're going next in a couple of weeks. Uh, the kingdom of God, we're going to be in Matthew 5, verse 21 today. We're really getting into the teachings of Jesus today, okay? So if you don't have your Bible here, we'll have screen Bible, sky Bible up there for you. That's totally fine. And here it is, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And it's not like the, the district council, you know. Uh, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are, I know we're getting serious this morning. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, not even that you have something against them, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny." Man, we're getting into it today. We're going to do this today. This is going to be fantastic. So that we can sort of structure our thoughts as we pull this passage apart today. Obviously, we're pulling it apart in the context of our Kingdom of God series. And that's important to remember. Jesus didn't just start with this one. He had this big intro. And that we have to remember that. But, but as we pull this apart, we're going to frame our thoughts around four different ideas today. Uh, this will hopefully help us all follow along. It'll help me, if nothing else. And I would like to, you to imagine like building a house. When you want to build a house, you first have to clear the ground. Then you have to lay a foundation. Then you have to build the house. And then you get to move in and live in it. So we're going to like do four parts. We're going to clear the ground for this passage. We're going to lay the foundations for it. We're going to build the house that it's building, and then we're going to learn to live in that house, okay? So that's what we're going to do today. So let's start by clearing the ground, clearing the ground. Let's be honest. This message, this verse at first reading feels like it cuts across grace Jesus. It feels direct. It feels harsh. It feels... Um, like it's, it's pretty like in or out sort of thing. It almost feels impossible. So it, we have to start by acknowledging that, that it feels that way, but that doesn't mean we should gloss over it. That must mean that we don't understand it if it can't be reconciled with grace Jesus. If it seems impossible, we don't just gloss over it and go, oh, well, we don't know what it means. We must dig into it and go, if Jesus said it, it must mean something and it must matter to his overall teachings about the kingdom of God. And I want to start with this, this quote from C.S. Lewis because I think it's great. Uh, the command 
be ye perfect, hopefully you can put this on the screen, great. The command, be ye perfect, is not idealistic gas, nor is it a command to do the impossible. He, being Jesus, is going to make us into creatures that can obey that command. So we need to, as we just start clearing the ground, we have to realize we're not on our own. God is here by his Holy Spirit to help us become the very things he's teaching us to become. We must remember, as I've already said, that we're in the middle of a whole sermon, one unified talk. You don't just take a quote that I say and take it out of context, although people do all the time and complain to me. Uh, but but it, we take it in the context of everything. So what's Jesus been saying? Hopefully we can put this, in this on the screen as well. And this is what we've been saying, uh, that the order of his teachings matters, and it's been our order so far. That there's been a background assumption about the life in the kingdom through reliance upon Jesus. We've been talking about that out of Matthew 4. If he preached everywhere about the kingdom of God, what was that message? It was that the good news is that you can live God-reliant. And it's good news because it helps you flourish. It's the way to true human flourishing. And then we've been unpacking over the last few weeks that it's ordinary people who are salt and light of the world as they live blessed in the kingdom of God. Blessed, 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 blessed. For everybody, we are these people as we learn to live in it. And now we sort of, we started last week and Renee did a fantastic job. The kingdom heart of goodness is concretely portrayed as the kind of love that is in God. So we're getting this, we're getting Jesus' teachings on how to actually live love, how to actually live the goodness of God in everyday human interactions. This is the context and it must be remembered we're clearing the ground. The order matters. Once we've moved from God-reliance and taken up our blessed reality, in, uh, once we've moved from self-reliance to God-reliance and taken up our blessed reality in the kingdom, we would, of course, begin to ask Jesus, how should we now live in the kingdom? We don't just want to be tourists that have the T-shirt. We want to be citizens that have the culture. And that is what we're getting at today. I love this quote. We'll put it up. Jesus is against earning, not effort. Many people have misinterpreted the grace of Jesus to mean, I don't need to try. You don't need to try to earn it, but you definitely need to try to live it with the power of God helping you. God is not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning righteousness. And we need to remember this, that the laws of God are beautiful. And if the world lived by them, it would be a utopia. Just think of like if the world just lived by the back half of the Ten Commandments, which are pretty simple, like honor your mother and father, do not murder, do not steal, do not covet, do not commit adultery. If we just all lived by those, the whole world, just even 90% of the world, huge portions of human suffering would, be disappear, like would disappear overnight. So like we need to remember that God's rules, God's ways, God's perspective, they're really good. He's not holding out on anyone. He's actually trying to guide you in the goodness of how to be human. And I love this. This is another quote. Hopefully it'll be up on the screen. Feel free to take photos if you want to remember them later. Jesus knew that we cannot keep the law by trying to keep the law. One must aim at something other and something more. One must aim to become the kind of person from whom the deeds of the law naturally flow. 
The apple tree naturally produces apples because of its inner nature. This is the most crucial thing to remember if we would understand Jesus' picture of the kingdom heart given in the Sermon of the Mount. He's not trying to get us to change from the outside in. He's trying to get us to change from the inside out by his help and his movement and our partnership with that in our lives. We have to remember this. We're clearing the ground, remember. He's going after our heart. He's not just going after our actions. He's going after our heart because as Jesus would say later in his teachings, if you clean the inside of the cup, the outside will be clean also. But if you clean the outside, it's possible for the inside to still be dirty. And that's where things flow from. So, of course, not murdering wouldn't be enough because murder comes from somewhere. So we sort of cleared the ground, hopefully. We got it sort of just like, there it is. It's a bit clearer. Now let's begin laying a foundation. What is he talking about here? What's he doing here in these passages? This is actually the first of six sections about human relationships and how we should live in light of the kingdom of God in them. And he moves in every single one of them from the outside to the inside. Don't murder? No, don't be angry. Don't commit adultery? No, don't lust. He's always moving from external to the inside. So here we need to understand that Jesus is introducing the ethic of his kingdom. He's introducing the culture of his kingdom. He's teaching us, his words are teaching us as his followers and those learning to live in his kingdom, how it rolls. He's showing us the laws and the rules and the ways of his kingdom, the bylaws, the ways we operate as this kingdom. And it's interesting that as he begins teaching about how to live in the kingdom, he doesn't start with prayer, he'll get there. He doesn't start with worship, he'll get there. He doesn't even start with generosity, but he'll get there. But he starts with how we relate to one another. That out of all the things Jesus could begin with, once he'd set the scene, he's like, let's get human relationships sorted. Let's learn to live out the kingdom there first. He's actually bringing some concrete teaching on how to really be good. On how to really be good. I love what Renee said, when we consume communion, it's like when we partake in it, we remember that our goodness doesn't come from the inside, but it comes from something outer of us, which is very countercultural. where we say, if you just look inside, you'll find what you're looking for. <laughs> that actually most of our educational system, most of our media, all is telling us that we're pretty good. And if only we would just be more, more live from our center, then we would be good. You don't want everyone to live from their center. There's some real dark stuff in there. So Jesus is trying to teach us how to have a good center. And it can only happen by him. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said the only proper response to this word which Jesus brings with him from eternity is to simply do it is to simply do it. You know, in this message, this Sermon on the Mount, there's 92 verses. 15 of them are, are devoted to obeying, obeying what he says. So one-sixth, 15%-ish of his entire message is about the importance of actually doing his message. He's teaching us how to be good. It's it's interesting to note that his laws are not being revoked, but they're being radicalized. God, in his fulfillment of them, he's not revoking them, he's radicalizing them. I've heard people say, oh, he's just showing us how hard it really is to please God and how much we need him. True, 
true, but he actually intends us to live this way. He actually intends us to live this way. He's not just exaggerating for exaggeration's sake. He's trying to guide us in how to truly be good and how to live this stuff out. He, he's given an explanation to what he's already said. This is, we're laying foundations, remember? He's, we talked about it last week that he said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will never live in the kingdom of God. It can't be yours. You cannot enter it. He's explaining what he means by that. This is what righteousness exceeding that of the Pharisees means. It means not just external obedience, but a heart transformation in the way we relate to one another. And like a brilliant doctor, Jesus is not treating the symptoms, but the cause. He's not just like, just try not to murder. He's like, let's get to the heart of what's really going on in humanity. I love this. To be sure, the law is not the source of rightness. The law is not the source of rightness, but it is forever the course of rightness. The law is not the source of rightness. It's not, by, it's not the means by which we earn acceptance by God, but it is the course of rightness. It is the way that we live accepted by God. He's showing us how he fulfills the law. That's what he's doing here. He said, I fulfill the law. And you're like, what do you mean by that, Jesus? He's like, this. You, you heard it said, do not murder. I say, do not even have anger in your heart. He's, Jesus' life is the final interpretation on the law and how to live it out. And he's going to repeat over and over again that external conformity is not enough, but a transformed heart, a new way of seeing, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating, a new way of being is what God is after. Hence why you can't enter the kingdom of God without obedience, because it is not something you subscribe to, it's something you learn to live in. You have to be a disciple. You can't just be an attender or a subscriber. You can't just get the label and then you're done. It's a daily thing. And Jesus would say this in Matthew 9, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I call the righteous but the sinners. It's interesting. Jesus is sort of showing us how to interpret the law through the weightier matters of God's ethic. The weightier matters. The weightier matters to God are mercy, are love, are justice, are covenant loyalty. These are the weighty matters, and they must be used to judge how we live out all the other matters. You know, there's millions of people, millions upon millions, who say they believe God and many even attend church. But the reality is, is they do not live the kingdom life. And we cannot be among those. Jesus came for more than to get you to go to church. He wanted to flip the whole way you relate upside down, from the inside out. So let's begin to build the house. Is it enough? It's sort of like challenging enough, isn't it? We haven't even built the house yet or moved in. All we've done is cleared the ground and laid a foundation. And we can see that what Jesus is saying is, is big stuff. It's really big stuff. But let's build the house. Let's go back over the verse. We'll, we'll divide it into two sections. Matthew 5. You have heard it said, 
to those of old that you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, and whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Anger, insults, and abuse, fool is just a common term of abuse, will, will do much harm. They will do much harm, and they will never achieve justice. And when we learn to love people from the inside out, it fulfills the requirements of these things. If you are loving people, you will not have anger in your heart towards them. We use love like so wrongly, eh? Katie said to me yesterday, oh, our dog loves you. I said, well, would he? Oh, she's being sarcastic. Okay. She's trying to encourage me. He was rejecting me. But, you know, as, as, and I said, well, would he sacrifice his own good for the sake of my good? <laughs> I doubt it. He's not lassie, you know. So when we say love fulfills these, we don't mean like good vibes fulfills these. We don't mean like positive energy towards other people fulfills these. We don't mean like romanticism and like really liking people will fulfill these. We mean love. To prefer the good of another above the good of self. The type of love that is in God. That fulfills these. And so anger, let's just break it down. Anger means to burn up with anger on the inside. This is the idea of this word. It's to be irritable. It's to be stirred. The word is to be intensely angry. It's not the sort of anger that is a reaction to something. It's the type of anger that's held on to. You know what I mean? There's a difference. When somebody offends you and you initially have that natural response of, oh, I don't like that. But it's holding on to that. That's what he's getting at. He's like, not letting that go, but being like, okay, I got this. <laughs> Insults, actually the word is more about contempt. It's to treat another as empty or worthless or foolish, which is what you do when you insult somebody. You're saying that they aren't really a person and therefore your words towards them don't really matter. This happens a lot online because people become faceless. It happens a lot in traffic, because you can't see their face. You don't know how old they really are. <laughs> then once you drive past them, you're like, oh, it's okay, they're really old, it's fine. You know, like, it's <laughs> contempt, okay. Not as old as you, like older than all you, you know, like, um, you don't get angry at me over in this section, I'm not even looking at you, okay? One of my favorite things about our church is the age diversity. <laughs> no more. I don't want to take a hole. Okay. You all drive fine. I've seen you. Okay. When he says, you'll know, you'll be liable to judgment, you'll be liable to the council, you'll be liable to the, the hell of fire, 
He's not saying like, if you're angry, it'll be this. And if you have contempt towards somebody, it'll be that. And if you say you're full, then you're going to hell. He's not saying that. It's like these are these rabbinic overtones from his, his time of if you murdered people, what would be the process for working out your punishment? And what he's really saying is, I'm just introducing a new ethic, but it's just as serious as the old one. It's just his way. It's like he, he's not really saying that. He's saying, I'm a God of justice. This matters to me. In the same way the old rules mattered to me, these new rules matter just as much to me. And they, they do come with the same weighty sense of justice and consequence. He's not saying that there's increasing judgment. He's just saying God not only wills that we don't kill each other, but that we wouldn't have this hostility towards each other. So my question, as we begin to get ready to move into the house, would have to be, who do you have hostility with? Hostility. Who are you holding that stuff with? Who are you treating as worthless in your life? Who is your tongue to loose around in a sense of abuse or being derogatory? And these could be in general terms like racism and prejudice. And these could be in specific terms as in work colleagues or spouses or family members or fellow people in this room. Who do you have hostility towards? Because you'll be invited into a kingdom way which doesn't just submit our behavior, but begins by submitting our thoughts. Our thoughts about other people and our words that they give rise to and our action. We're submitting all of these things to God's judgment and to God's authority. He can see it anyway. And Jesus is trying to show us, I can see and it matters. Love never shows hostility, and that must be our definition of what love really is. He's addressing the heart of human relationships. We must remember if we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior that we are justified. You know, we are made right by him. But Jesus is trying to show us the process of being sanctified, becoming right. We've been made right but now how do we live out that rightness? This is what Jesus is getting at. So let's move into the house. That's the second part of this verse. This is, Jesus is giving an instruction, a teaching, and then he's giving an illustration, okay? He's like, don't have hostility in your heart towards other people and don't use your words to abuse other people. That is my way of living in the kingdom. That's what he's saying. But I know that you're not perfect, so here's how to live it out. So he goes, Say you're at worship one day and you realize that somebody has hostility towards you. You would stop right there and you would go sort that thing out before you come back and worship. And then he goes, say you've got like a difficult situation. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's in the family court. Maybe it's something going on. You would go and resolve that straight away rather than try to get everything that is yours because in trying to get everything that is yours, you might lose some of what you otherwise wouldn't have lost if you just decided to let it go and settle. But he's not giving us, like, we must remember, he's not giving us these, like, direct, specific, legalistic things to obey. He's not saying, right now, half of us should leave. Because we've got stuff we haven't sorted out. 
He's giving like a creative parable example on how to sort stuff out. He's, he's really saying this, that you can't let your worship become separate from your relationships. You can't let loving God and loving people become two separate things. You can't keep seeing people and situations the same and expect love to be how you live. He's saying our relationships matter so much that you can't really live in the kingdom of God and have all of the prayer devotional stuff sorted but not have this sorted. So how do we live this out? Let's move into the house fully. Let's really move in. Ephesians 4.25. And this will be our last passage for the day. Ephesians 4.25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all the bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. We're asking the question now, how do we be people who don't hold anger? How do we be people who don't see others as worthless and treat them with contempt? And how do we not be people who don't have abuse come from our mouths? That's the question we ask. That's the house we're trying to move into. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. And this verse from Paul gives us the keys to how to do it. Some perspective changes, some things we need to practice, some things we just need to go away and do in our lives that will help this be possible by the help of the Holy Spirit. So if we put that verse back up on there, we can do it all while we're here. Um, Just what we had up there. Yep, perfect. We start by being, he said, we need to, for we are members of one another. So we need to change our perspective to realize that we are connected with each other. We are not individuals first and foremost, but we are a community first and foremost as humanity. If we can change our perspective to be like, they're not other, it's less like me and them and it's more we. And if we can shape our perspective to understand how Jesus sees us as interconnected and how sociologists understand us as to be interconnected, and how our identity and our validation, I was reading a, a, um, a psychological sort of like study the other day, it was just saying like we're teaching people at the moment to find validation in the inside. And it sounds so good, but the truth is we were always supposed to find it from the community around us. Isn't that like mind-blowing? So we are one another, and we need to see ourselves as one another in this life. The second thing is we don't carry things from one day or one season to another. Learn to forgive. The difference between the use of anger in this verse and the use of anger in the one that Jesus was saying is one is about holding on and one is about reaction. This one is like, 
do not let your anger turn into sin. He's like, it's normal to be offended, to get offended in the initial offense, but don't hold on to it. Don't let the sun go down on that. Resolve it. Don't carry. How many of us are carrying stuff from yesteryear and from yesterday in our hearts still today? We're still stewing on it. We're still annoyed by it. We're still not hurt by it. Hurt is not sin. We're still angry about it. Anger and hurt are different things. Still stewing over it. Still... So we need to learn to forgive. Forgiveness is the practice of not carrying things from one season to another. How do you forgive? You don't hold it against them anymore. And Jesus loves to help people forgive. Ask him to help you. The third thing is, as we treat others as valuable, that's what it says up there uh, somewhere. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God Christ forgave you. You realize that people have value, that we treat others as value, but we see everybody in our lives as somebody for whom Christ died. Everybody you meet is somebody that God loves. Somebody of intrinsic value to God. A soul that matters. When we see them as that, we would never flip them off in the traffic. And then we need to actively pursue being kind and tender. Man, it's amazing when you direct your mouth, the impact it has on your heart. Like, man, I, I want to be annoyed, but instead I'm going to bless. Oh, I want to be jealous, but instead I'm going to pray for them. Oh, I want to be offended, but instead I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for their best and I'm going to speak encouragement into their life because I know that there's this connection between my words and my heart. So we need to be people who speak life, encouragement, and good, not abuse, gossip, and slander. You're driving down the traffic. Everywhere, it's a really annoying slow person in front of you. It's so easy to let that become something. And then it's easy to let that, as it becomes something, for them to become a non-human. And then as they become a non-human, it's easy to yell things and mutter things or throw things and whatever it is. It's so easy because that is the progression However, if we can get into that moment and go, oh no, we're all connected, we're all one. I'm not going to let a little thing like this get in my heart. I'm going to let this go. I'll just be a minute late, which is really my fault anyway. I should have left early. And I'm going to speak life. I'm going to use this as an opportunity to pray for this person that I don't even know that God would do something amazing in their lives. Whatever it is they've got going, God, would you reveal it to me? What could I pray for for them? This is what Jesus is talking about. And I know it seems like, oh my goodness, this is like crazy Christianity. This is kingdom of God. This is kingdom of God living. So what we're going to do right now is these guys are just going to play for two minutes. And we're going to sit and we're going to reflect. And we're going to go, who do I need to sort some stuff out with? Who do I have some beef with that needs to be resolved? What anger am I holding in my heart that I need God to ask me, that I need to ask God to help me to let go of? 
You're going to ask, who do I need to go to after today and seek reconciliation with? Maybe you're here and you're in the middle of a court case and you've got things like that going on. You're going to ask God what it looks like to live out that, this passage in that situation. Can we do that?